Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are discussing the theme of justice in Harry Potter. To start us out, we have a quote, and this quote comes from the Prisoner of Azkaban. The trio basically is talking with Hagrid about his experience at Azkaban, and this is what he says about it. You can't really remember who you are after a while, and you can't see the point of living at all. I used to hope I'd just die in my sleep. When they let me out, it was like being born again. Everything came flooding back. It was the best feeling in the world. Mind the Demenders weren't keen on letting me go. But you were innocent, said Hermione. Hagrid snorted. I think that matters to them. They don't care. As long as they've got a couple of hundred humans stuck with them, so they can leech all the happiness out of them, they don't give a damn who's guilty and who's not. Rude Dementors. Yeah, seriously. But I think that the Dementors, at a, as a metaphor for the way that imprisonment occurs in our society, mm-hmm. is really strong. Hagrid's talking about how suicidal he is and how despondent mm-hmm. and, and despairing he is there. And when you are isolated, when you have hope taken away from you, when you are treated inhumanely, it is so much more difficult for you to maintain a positive outlook and, and happiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And oftentimes... Our prison system doesn't care if you're innocent or not either. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about hearing this quote and and thinking about Azkaban was how certain scholars of incarceration and prisoning have talked about how when someone enters the judicial system, when they enter the criminal justice system, regardless of whether they've actually been convicted or not, they are already removed from society. Mm -hmm. In fact, jails and prisons entail this kind of null space. Los Angeles is actually a really interesting example of that because LA is the most carceral city in the most carceral country in the world. And right in the middle of our downtown district are these huge jails that house thousands of people. And if they weren't pointed out to you that that is a jail, it just looked like a regular building in the middle of downtown L.A. And so instead of it existing within or alongside the rest of the community and the rest of the environment in that area, it is isolated. It is this negative space that people are put into, processed in, and then separated from their community, from their identity at times, where they're given a number and told to wait for months, perhaps, until they have their case tried. Uh, and, And it's just this kind of, yeah, removal of humanity. And Azkaban, we have no idea where it is, somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, I guess. And it's this prison on an island that is literally removed from society and removed from people. The guards there are themselves magical creatures. So being around only them and other prisoners who are under their care is just, yeah, a complete way of dividing people. And Hagrid is, is I think, seeing that. And Hagrid is someone who cares so much about others. He, he, I think, lives so much in community with others. He talks about earlier in the quote how his dad dying and, like, losing Norbert were some of the hardest things in his life. It's all these, like, disconnections with people. And so I can imagine this being particularly difficult for him, but awful for anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even being let go, that doesn't undo the harm that is done to a person as they're experiencing it there. Exactly. 
Yeah, so talking about justice in Harry Potter, <laughs> uh, we're already starting to see some of the glaring injustices that exist in the wizarding world. <laughs> what? I didn't have any of that in my notes. <laughs> Well, why don't we get into the rest of our discussion? What mm -hmm. character do you have to talk about today? I want to talk about a character who is not happy with a lot of these injustices in the world. Uh, I thought I'd talk <laughs> about Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Yeah, because Hermione, I think, is the best example of a core character who is passionate about challenging injustice, who is really about fighting for a justice that is wider than herself. For example, she's not the kind of person who, when she gets into a fight with Malfoy, wants revenge on him the way that Harry and Ron do. They aren't out for justice in those examples. They're out for vengeance. You know, maybe what they see is justice, but what isn't really justice because it's entirely subjective to their experiences. And I think that she is better at believing in systems that are more objective and just. And I think one of her interesting arcs is coming to terms with the fact that the systems that she surrounds herself with and that she is surrounded by are not just in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so it's harder for her, I think, initially to start breaking rules and things like that. And, and that's a challenge she goes through throughout. But she recognizes that just because something is codified into a rule or a law does not mean that it is just. And I think that's an interesting arc for her. Yeah. But I think that she's also interesting on this topic because she's a great example of how people who can be extremely well-intentioned can also try to fight injustice in ways that are themselves... Problematic at best. Problematic at best, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That can be harmful to those who they are trying to help. Mm -hmm. Made most clear with the Society for the Protection of Elvish Welfare. <laughs> Definitely. Or SPU. But yeah, I think that her, her pursuit of justice for house elves is itself so limited by her own perspectives, her own experiences, and in some ways her arrogance of what she thinks to be right. And that can sometimes come along with this passion for fighting against injustice is that it makes it so that she believes so strongly in the fight that she doesn't question whether she's fighting the correct ways. She does not look to the house elves themselves for what they want, and she puts them into, at best, a supportive role for what she wants to get done, sometimes trying to coerce them through hiding yeah. hats and Trick things around. Trick them into freeing, being freed even though they don't want to be. Exactly. Um, and so she can, at times, be kind of utilizing them and, and further marginalizing them in her own kind of liberatory intentions. She also doesn't have much of an intersectional lens. She just sees it as enslavement. And yeah, slavery is bad, but there are different levels going on here. What it means for a elf who is a part of a family in a way that is important to its own experiences and identity. Um, and she doesn't even ask those questions. You know, so she, she kind of, you know, I think is an interesting example of, of the kind of critiques that are often lobbied against, like, quote-unquote, white feminism, mm -hmm. of this kind of ideology or a movement that is looking to uplift, in this case, women who are marginalized, but doing so in a way that is looking often through a perspective that's just about, like, you know, lean in and push through that glass ceiling and 
join the corporate world and it's not looking at these yeah intersections with race and class and colonialism and all these other elements and so it becomes it, it makes it seem like the fight is only the fight as is experienced by those who have an, an element of privilege and not by those who are actually most impacted by these systems yeah which is uh, yes definitely uh, it is something that's people use kind of white feminism as just like a way to talk about these things but these things have been happening for hundreds of years where people go into communities and think that they know what's best Mm -hmm. like before any sort of feminist movements like we know of them today existed and so this happens all the time and i mean it's not just white people who do this unfortunately but definitely people who are only seeing something through their perspective and think other communities should operate this way or want the same things as them is ridiculous. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's yeah, I think just, it, it can be seen in so many different spotlights. You know, you can look at woke Democrats who, <laughs> you know, claim to be progressive but are still funding wars, you know, that are not actually looking at the deep roots of these problems. And in particular, they're not uplifting, uplifting the voices of those who are most marginalized by these systemic injustices. And so, yeah, these these are very, very widespread. And so I think it's interesting that, that Hermione engages with this in this kind of way. You know, I am I, doing my best not to think of the narrative intent, but I will say that the way the story reads as is doesn't really have Hermione coming to grips with those things. The way that I think that she comes to grips with the way, just the facts that systemic injustices exist and that systems themselves are often tools of oppression, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a great journey that she has. I don't see her having as enlightening a journey with this other element that she engages with injustice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I know that there are some Harry Potter fans out there that don't like that Hermione goes about things in this way but I like that she does because I think that that's so real especially for a 14 year old kid you know that they aren't powerless but in in terms of affecting significant institutional change (laughs) they don't have a lot of access to resources or even people to to be able to help push that change along and so I think there's that I think that I don't know maybe they're in younger generations now people are growing up with a better sense of some of these things and are maybe being taught it earlier but at least for my own life it was around this age that I started understanding some things a little better and actually probably a little bit later than that and so It makes sense, and I think it makes sense with her character as well. Like, she has trouble not seeing things in kind of black and white terms in various circumstances. Mm -hmm. And she has a really difficult time with things that she thinks are wrong, whether morally or just incorrect, Mm -hmm. as we've talked about with, like, her having conflict with Luna. And so I think that this is kind of very in character for her. And yes, the hope is that she would learn and change and change also on things like this often comes when you hear about people saying this way of doing things is wrong mm. and there are better ways. And I mean, and she's, she's starting know. this at age 14. Exactly. Which... We don't know that she has those influences. We don't know that anyone else in the 
Wizarding World is doing anything about this, you know? And, and so I applaud her passion. I criticize her tactics and some of her perspectives on it. But um, yeah, I think she still did more than I probably would have done at that age, mm. even if some of it was wrong. <laughs> totally, yeah. Like, she's willing to ostracize herself from all of her peers over this issue, which is admirable just in, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, when I think about my own experience, like, I started becoming more progressive and active politically when I was surrounded by others who were also doing that. Mm -hmm. And having that community was vital to my own growth. And so the idea of having that come from herself when it is actively isolating her from others is definitely an admirable element. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there, there are different interesting ways you could read it as well in terms of are we reading a, a white Hermione? Are we reading a black Hermione? Mm. Are we reading a, a different ethnicity or race Hermione? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But what plot did you want to talk about? Yeah, so <laughs> I kind of wanted to talk about the Ministry's rubbish justice <laughs> because it is rubbish. And I mean, obviously in a social sense, but focusing more here a little bit more on a legal sense. Mm. I mean, not that those things are mutually exclusive. But we start getting kind of a clue into the broken justice system when Hagrid is taken to Azkaban, like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. He's taken there without any actual evidence against him. It's like, oh, well, you have a bad track record and I have to be seen to be doing something. And, and I mean, I'd actually say that it starts even earlier than that in book two when Harry gets in trouble with the ministry because of Dobby's levitation spell. And he has no ability to appeal that or do anything. So, you know, his sure. first engagement with the ministry personally is through an injustice. Definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody goes to see what was going on mm -hmm. or anything like that. Of course not. But also we find out too very early on that it's because of money and status that Lucius Malfoy was able to evade any sort of sentencing um, yeah. or any accountability for his actions of having been a Death Eater, having been doing these terrible things. And he, yeah, evades that until the end of book five. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I mean, 15 years worth or, or more that he was doing these things, like, you know, he continues to have positions of power, be on the board of governors, close contact with Cornelius Fudge, etc. And so uh, w we do start seeing these things be more apparent. Then in book three, also, Fudge just kind of waves away Harry blowing up. Marge. Yeah, actually doing magic this time. Yeah, actually doing something. <laughs> and sure, like, he's not able to control it, so I don't think he should get expelled or something. But Absolutely. like, you know, maybe you need to go see a counselor. Maybe we should find out what was the home situation that caused this to happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, this sounds like abuse. Maybe we should do something. But, you know, basic steps. Are you aware of how difficult it can be for a muggle to find out about magic and, and mm -hmm. you know, have magic done to them? And yeah. Absolutely. And and the fact that Fudge is just able to wave it away mm -hmm. 
Whereas in book two, there was a letter that was delivered to the door and, you know, everything. And, and then we hear kind of in passing that, yeah, Sirius Black never even had a trial. He was just thrown in Azkaban for what I assume would have been a life sentence. We see all of these things, but they're kind of side mentions of this kind of Ministry of Magic, quote-unquote, justice. And I think it's a lot of it is leading up to book five when mm-hmm. it really digs into these ideas. And pretty much the opening is is Harry and the Dementor attack and him having to go on trial for using a Patronus and tactics that, that should be absolutely illegal to attempt to obstruct justice are done. No one from the ministry even went out to investigate the supposed scene of the crime. Mm. No one appears to have any tabs on the comings and goings of Dementors. No one talks to Dudley, who was they know was there and was an eyewitness to this event happening. They then obviously change the time of the trial without notifying even the person who's supposed to be standing trial nor his guardians and they try a 15 year old like an adult with the full Weizenkamot and there's no legal representation mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just this 15 year old trying to defend himself which is absurd and all the while like you have this injustice being done and then you have Dolores Umbridge Mm -hmm. which is the person who actually did the illegal act of sending unauthorized dementors to a muggle town to suck out the soul of a 15 year old kid she then tortures Harry and others, illegally uses serum on students, starts to use an unforgivable curse on Harry in the presence of other students, and there's absolutely no legal ramifications to any of those actions. Yeah, I think that she's interesting in particular because she goes both routes. She does try to legally change things to empower herself and to make it so that she can, you know, do what she wants at Hogwarts. But when those legal avenues don't bear fruit, she is absolutely fine going these illegal routes in the name of law and order. Yeah. And when you see those two things juxtaposed to each other all in the same book, it's just the most frustrating situation. Mm. And, you know, she's back in power running a racist commission that takes actions against people solely on their family members mm-hmm. she has the locket that she took from a nungus because who was doing something illegal but mm-hmm. she didn't actually press charges against him oh, she no. just blackmailed him as long as i get to keep the locket mm-hmm. i'll let you go yeah so yeah i think by the end of the series we get to see how unjust the ministry has become but it's also not a far leap 
at all mm-hmm. from from what we saw kind of building up and you know i, I kind of love that I, I love the fact that umbridge post book seven we have no idea what happens to her she might just continue having a high level position at the ministry until she retires and that would be accurate for how politics is done how things happen in in our worlds and so i i really appreciate that being in the books and that is kind of like this slow build to it because like i was mentioning before at least my experience growing up is you become more and more and more aware of these injustices Mm -hmm. institutionally and and i think that that's kind of the path that it takes in in the books too yeah and I, I also think Umbridge is a good character for, for many reasons, including ones that you brought up. One of the things that I, I appreciate her for is that she also helps to complicate ideas of evil. One of the, the classic lines is that not everyone's either good or a Death Eater. Yeah. But those who have done bad things in the ministry thus far, other than Fudge, who's mostly just weak, have been seem to be Death Eaters. There's Lucius, who's a Death Eater, mm-hmm. and then McNair, who is going to be the one who, who executes Buckbeak, mm-hmm. who's shown to be a Death Eater too. And so at the end of book four, you know, when they're going through the names of the Death Eaters, you only recognize a few of them, but a couple of them are clearly people who were involved in some of the most awful things that the Ministry has done to that point. And so that start does start to kind of build this idea that like, oh, of course, the ministry is doing these bad things because there's Death Eaters in, in it. Mm-hmm. And like, sure, I'm sure that there are actual racists, actual you know terrorists who, who join government institutions, state institutions, polices, police institutions for sure, mm-hmm. because it allows them that power that they can then use to further marginalize those they are bigoted against. But there's also just systemic things that just people who enjoy power can can do these kinds of things. And systems of power can exist without necessarily requiring bigoted or selfish or other kinds of people who are intentionally doing these things consciously to be enacting that. And I think that Umbridge is a good example of this as someone who is not within this awful terrorist organization of the Death Eaters, but is still able to do awful things including through just the use of legal means Mm -hmm. absolutely and the fact that she can use these legal means shows there were so many people before her that instituted these laws they wrote them they passed them and so it's like all those people weren't death eaters they were just other bigoted people but not in an extreme way Mm. you know it's the societally acceptable bigoted perspectives of these people yeah yeah but why don't we move on to our compelling questions okay what do you have for me well clearly we've talked a lot about the criminal justice system in the ministry of magic but i was wondering what other systems of justice that you see in harry potter and how just you think those systems might might be? I think we have the injustices of the press. Mm. Rita Skeeter can straight up lie and misquote people. That's severely problematic. Mm. Um, in book five, the Daily Prophet is basically in the pocket of the Ministry of Magic. Absolutely. You have things like her and the rest of 
the Marauders being unregistered animagi, mm. which I I could imagine could lead to so much injustice and also just severely creepy things happening. You have, I mean, teachers being able to abuse students. <laughs> That's uh, a real problem. Um, and... I don't even know how Hogwarts came to be there, <laughs> but you have all of these different magical creatures around that are sectioned off and completely affected by what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, also thinking of other ways that discipline is used, um, totally. like the points system at Hogwarts. And frankly, how wild and ridiculous that is. That <laughs> I agree. Just like answering a question correctly in class, when you're called upon, like it's not like everyone got the same opportunity. Only one person is going to be able to be called upon to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And that all of those intersect with the same, you know, you can lose points through your behavior, through breaking rules and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these things that are like coming together into what is ultimately a competition. It helps learning. Yeah. So, like, the biggest punishment Harry, Hermione, and Neville get, and Draco, is, I mean, I guess they get a night of detention, but they also lose 50 points each in mm -hmm. the House Cup. Which, I mean, who cares? It has nothing to do with their academic achievement. It doesn't take away time the way that incarceration does. It doesn't take away resources the way that fines do. It's just taking away these arbitrary points and thus their social capital. So it's really using mm -hmm. shame as a weapon to say, because afterwards, Gryffindors are so upset at them for having lost all these points for them and are then treating them so horribly. And it's like, okay, so now shame is a weapon that the, these teachers are essentially using as a discipline method. And that that is not a good system of justice. Well, and you have Dumbledore award all these extra points at the end of book one after the kids broke rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Neville deserved those points. Everyone else? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they really need a uniform system of rewards and punishments. Because yeah, it's so arbitrary. Exactly. It's just at the whims of professors or prefects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the fact that people apparently can jinx other students and that's like fine and you can use slurs and there aren't negative points for that or suspension which would be a better option <laughs> and there's also nothing that happens to harry after he almost murders a fellow student mm -hmm. nor serious black who also almost murders a fellow student and you know expulsion should happen and maybe a trial for attempted murder and hopefully rehabilitation yeah at the very least <laughs> required counseling sessions of increasing empathy and maybe anger management for harry in book five you know yeah. like there's lots of things maybe there's that... a potion he needs to be on <laughs> exactly so yes i think that that the the way that the point system in particular works is uh not the most just system <laughs> in the books i'm surprised that hermione wasn't all annoyed at the point system <laughs> well what's your question for me 
So I want to know what you think should have happened to Harry and Mrs. Weasley since they both used unforgivable curses. Harry used Imperio on a goblin in book seven. He used Crucio on Amicus Caro in book seven as well. And it doesn't explicitly say the words that Mrs. Weasley used about a cadaver on Bellatrix, but it says that they were doing spells to kill. So yeah, it kind of seems like that. And also if you have other spells at your disposal and you are purposefully trying to kill someone, that's not good. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I will say that before I get into what I personally think should be the case in these mm-hmm. kinds of systems, that there there could be within their world, you know, if this is considered a wizarding war, that there are different laws that apply. Which, that, yeah, is an idea, but, like, is justice that conditional? <laughs> right, so, yes. So, I, I think that it, it shouldn't necessarily be, but there are different legal systems based off those kinds of classifications. Sure, I mean, circumstances should be taken into account, but totally. also you murdered someone. <laughs> yeah. So I think for Harry in particular, he should have some sort of mediation with the goblin that he imperioed. Just to peel back the curtain about my my interiority for a second, my first <laughs> thought was like, we should make him work at Gringotts for a bit. And I was like, oh no, that's that's in, that's slavery. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> also, indentured servitude. Is that what <laughs> they would want? Also <laughs> Probably that, not. Yeah, it's true. Also problematic that, you know, then goblins are... Forced to babysit? Forced to babysit, but I'm, in my own mind that they are characterized only by their work, you know? Like, yeah. Lot, lot, so I apologize for that thought process. Um, Such a Hermione. <laughs> but no, I think that restitution, mediation, and rehabilitation tend to be the kinds of things that, that need to be highlighted. And in that case in particular, there is an opportunity for him to engage with the harmed parties and mm-hmm. to... I don't want to say reach an understanding because there is no understanding. The understanding is just that Harry harmed them, but that they should at least be taken into the the consideration in the process of healing and and rehabilitation. I think in both cases, particularly when you look at more physically violent curses like Crucio and Avada Kedavra, I'm I'm kind of unsure. Uh, I I frankly, I am hyped highly critical of the way that justice systems tend to use either incarceration or fines as punishment. Incarceration, because as I mentioned before, is a way of separating people from their community. Um, it tends to re-victimize people. And it also, yeah, is a way to further develop schisms by race, class, etc. Fines do similar things because fines mostly impact and they they disproportionately impact those who have less resources yeah they either so terribly financially debilitate certain groups or for another group it literally means nothing because they have so much money it makes no impact i mean looking at harry and mrs weasley harry gets a fine for crucio and he's like whatever comes out of this giant bottomless room of gold that I've always had. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Weasley is going to have to figure out how to take care of her family and her home and herself um, when she loses. I mean, basically, most of them are, like, out of the house and, like, don't 
need the same sorts of things anymore. But yes. Still. Yes. Yeah. We don't know how much debt they're in from raising <laughs> 17 children, you know. Uh, <laughs> Who have 27 meals a day. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I don't know. What, what were you thinking? Yeah. I, I honestly wasn't sure. I mean, I think that these things should be looked at slightly differently because Harry was 17 when he did these actions Absolutely. versus Mrs. Weasley who is I don't know in her 40s 50s mm-hmm. but yeah they can't go un not punished in like necessarily uh, like a negative sense like there has to be accountability I guess it's, yeah I neither of us are for the prison system. It's really not at all focused on rehabilitation. Yes. They obviously both need therapy, especially Harry, just from what he's gone through, but for this action as well. Yeah. There've been some places that have maybe done interesting things. I think it's off of Norway. There's like this small island that was kind of turned into a prison per se but it wasn't really prison in terms of what we think of it as and so it was only more violent or serious offenses Mm. that people went to this island where there was farming stuff and animals and they had to like take care of them so they weren't in cells and it, it was really interesting to see recidivism was so low after they were able to leave the island and interviews and stuff were done with the people there saying that like yeah this isn't prison as we were in before but it's still not freedom we still want mm-hmm. we still want to go home to our friends or family or whatnot so it wasn't that it was just like oh it's like the easiest life ever it's like a vacation it, it wasn't that and so i don't know i i think creative solutions <laughs> is the way to go for these totally. things of what are ways that people can change for the better in community while their actions and the harm that they've done to other people, they're still accountable for it. So, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what the solution would be. Azkaban is a terrible place and shouldn't exist. Yes. It's basically, oh, because you did this or we say you did it, whether you did or not, then you should essentially be tortured or like put into clinical depression for the rest of your life it's bad yeah so i think it's a complicated question especially when you when you do have terms like unforgivable curses Mm. it it carries this idea behind it that if you do one of these it is unforgivable that means you're in an azkaban for the rest of your life but that's i think also really interesting because you know they're called the unforgivable curses but it's not a justice system's job to forgive you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, that idea of accountability and hopefully rehabilitation. Yeah. Yeah, it's not forgiveness and it's not punishment, which I think are the things that, that are often seen as. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, should we move on to our missed opportunities? Sure. Continuing this kind of theme about criminal justice and things like that, uh, I, I think that it would have been very interesting to see more in regards to what it's like to come out of Azkaban or come mm-hmm. out of the, the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. You know, that quote that we read from Hagrid is is kind of the extent that we get of someone who comes out. We also hear, I think, that Morphin Gaunt came out of Azkaban. Mm. And so I think that, that they could not only deal with the real ramifications that exist for people who are put into those kinds of awful conditions that traumatize them and 
in certainly our society, there are additional systemic limitations put on people who have served time yeah. formally and socially, where in many states in the U.S., felons can't vote, where there are stigmas put on it, where it's difficult to get a job and you have to put it on your resumes. And so what's it like for someone who spent time, whether they were guilty or not, I think that that can complicate things, but it is not the end-all be-all. It's not just like Hagrid was innocent and so coming out shouldn't have affected him. Coming out shouldn't affect anyone who's served. So yeah, I think that that would have been an interesting opportunity for them to have explored these elements when, when, as you've mentioned, the lack of justice in the systems of the wizarding world becomes such a focal point of Harry's interactions with them that this would be another avenue for them to explore them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think my missed opportunity is that, well, originally I, w- I was going to talk about the the point system and um, <laughs> stuff, but, but we already covered that. So I think looking at a flaw in the plan, <laughs> once you introduce Veritaserum, hmm. then it makes it nonsensical that the justice system does not use it. Yeah. Because you should theorize like if you can know what happened you can know the truth it should be used anytime yeah there's magic done in front of a muggle anytime anyone's on trial any eyewitnesses anyone who's testifying in mm-hmm. any sort of trial like these things should be used at the very least it should be something someone can volunteer for well definitely that but it's just kind of if you can know the truth, why do you leave it up to people who don't know the truth to make those decisions for people? I, I don't know. It's just, it's odd. And obviously it can go into a realm of being abused mm-hmm. where it's like employers use this all the time to check on, you know, it's just, no. But like when you're sentencing people to Azkaban, like, <laughs> how can you not give Sirius Black some of that or Hagrid or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's certainly slippery slopes that are involved there of consent and rights to privacy and, and things like that. But for some crimes, that is something that needs to at least be considered. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to waive it, say, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to, then that's probably going to factor into people's totally. judgment on you. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Once something magical is introduced that changes things and gives people certain kinds of powers over things, then the fact that they don't utilize that when other problems come up is like, why? (laughs) (laughs) But wouldn't this make everything easier? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. If if magic is going to make things easier, let it make things easier. (laughs) Yes, precisely. Well, so what's your takeaway from this conversation? I think my takeaway is that these books are particularly in kind of the ideas of justice, they are similar to Hermione, well-intentioned, but uh, don't go nearly far enough. They are in no way progressive. They are pretty centrist, frankly, in their reliance on the status quo. I think this is actually really exemplified by something that was another thing I was considering as my missed opportunity, which is the fact that Harry ultimately ends the series as a cop. He's like, I'm mean- being <laughs> 
I'm going to be no, a cop. No, that's, that's the epilogue, what epilogue <laughs> that we don't talk about. <laughs> but, like, that's the direction he's going in his whole t- the whole time. You know, there's no engagement with him in book six when he's, like, taking all these tests to become an or where he's all like, why would I want to work for the ministry when, you know, there are these inherent injustices there? Yeah. And so I think that that whole kind of view is one that really highlights the way that injustice is seen in the series only in the most dramatic of contexts, like the enslavement of house elves and the torturing of people. And there's no real nuance on conversation with how systems of injustice continue to perpetuate oppression and marginalization and inequality. And by highlighting these these more dramatic areas, it allows those kinds of status quo to continue. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think my takeaway is that I'm not entirely sure what to make of some of the messaging around violence and justice for the books, because I think when Harry does use those unforgivable curses, they have a weight to them because you've had three books up until this Mm -hmm. point talking about them in this way that these are unforgivable this is not okay in any circumstance you've seen neville's parents you've Mm -hmm. seen harry's whole story is about his parents being killed yeah yeah you see cruciatus be used on him yeah yeah and you see cedric die you see all of these terrible terrible things happen so in that way i think it takes violence very seriously but then it also I don't know. I don't know if it's just because of how a narrative generally works. And after the main conflict is done, then you kind of have to wrap up pretty quickly and then maybe throw in a unneeded epilogue. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm not sure if the story had continued for another year out, if we would have seen anything different. But it just kind of feels to me like oftentimes people just like think of Mrs. Weasley as this great nurturing person who they admire for all the sacrifices she's made and blah blah blah. Which I'm not saying that all of those things are wrong or whatnot, but to have her kill someone and it, it almost seem like it's trying to be justified by oh well she was protecting her daughter. She mm-hmm. was protecting a family member. But that doesn't change the fact that she killed someone. You when know? there are other less lethal tools available. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm just not sure because we we see the the horrible effects of of these things but then we also see characters that are on the quote-unquote good side doing them um which I I think is good because it makes things more complicated people who are fighting against terrible things in the world don't never do anything wrong or bad or ever dip their toes into evil you know and so i I think that's good and realistic but um i'm just not sure the weight that is given to violence and abuses that are happening if enough justice is done yeah well i I don't know how to wrap (laughs) up this conversation (laughs) i feel like we're usually not this ambiguous yeah I know, we're super ambiguous today. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, justice is a complicated subject because even though Hermione wants it to be just understandable and simple and formulaic, that's not how it happens in the world. And 
sometimes justice is miscarried because it's just put as this formulaic thing on everyone when everyone doesn't come from the same circumstances. And so it's very complicated. Hashtag it's complicated. <laughs> That's our relationship status towards justice and Harry Potter. <laughs> Have to update our Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we'll be discussing next week. Yeah, so we are going to be returning to The Hunger Games and Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And we are going to be talking about the theme of courage. Wonderful. Courage and Hunger Games. Nowhere to be found. Oh, I think there'll be plenty to be found. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. Or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become one of our supporters who get access to all sorts of extra content and help keep the show sustainable. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.